continue in our study um, of the parables of Christ. Parables are simply earthly stories that Jesus tells that have uh, an internal or um, dimension or an application to them, of tenor principles that God is trying to lay out for us here on earth. And we've talked about the kingdom parables. We've talked about the parables of the lost thing. We've talked about parables that deal with individual topics um, like the impact that we have or the influence that we have. We've talked about the idea of foundation and, and grace and forgiveness and those kinds of things. And so this morning, we're going to look at a parable that it, it's really short, and it really seems out of place, and it's really hard to figure out exactly what he's saying. But again, part of the idea of parables is there's a hidden meaning behind it. So let me read the parable, and then let me give you some background, and then let's talk about it. So here's what it says. It's in Luke chapter 13. Here's the parable. Then he told this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his garden, in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming back to look for fruit on this fig tree. I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit the next year, fine. If not, then we will cut it down. Now, give you an idea of what this would look like. This is a fig tree in a vineyard. So if you'll notice, there's a tremendous amount of space that it takes up in comparison particularly to the idea of that vineyard deal. So let me give you a little bit of background, tell you what I think this parable is about, and then some application for us in specific. If you go to Luke chapter 13 and you read the beginning of the chapter, there are two very interesting stories told. One is about a story with, with Pilate who executes a number of Galileans because they had sacrificed in the temple. Another story that, that is alluded to is a story of uh, 18, I think it was 18, I can get the number right here. Uh, yeah, 18 people from Jerusalem who died when the at the Tower of Siloam like a construction kind of accident. And the people kind of wondered and were, were, were alluding to this and, and talking to Jesus, and the idea was, why did, they, why did they die? Was it judgment? Was it um, something they did? Was it, what was it? And so the idea at the beginning of the chapter has to do with this idea of repentance. And the question is, did they die because they didn't repent? Did they die because they did something wrong? And so Jesus launches into this story. And in this story, I think the specifics, if you really want to try to peel back all of the onion layers, so to speak, uh, the idea here, I think, is the tree is representing Israel. The idea of God as the owner of the world, Jesus as the uh, vineyard person. And I think this is really about the idea that although God is ready to wipe out Israel and start over, um, give the gospel to the Gentiles, it's really a picture of Jesus talking about the idea of, as a mediator, Jesus wants more time for the Israelites to repent so that when uh, the Israelites repent and, and produce fruit, because up until this point, they haven't. Now, 
big picture. When Jesus is telling the story, the temple still stands. But 30 to 40 years later, in 70 AD, that temple is going to be destroyed. And Israel is basically going to go into a funk. So I think what Jesus is saying here is, look, I'm here in essence, to give you that one more year for you to learn and produce fruit, or God's going to wipe you out, and and God's going to give it to the Gentiles. I think that's the big picture story, okay? So let's talk about some principles for it, because, again, we're not Israel, and the temple's already been destroyed, so what's the application for us, okay? So let's talk about the story, first of all, as a whole. One of the things that's interesting in the story is that you have a fig tree in a vineyard. Now, there's a lot of debate over whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Here's what you should know. Just like uh, any other place in in, in the world, land was, particularly this kind of area, land was at a premium. So you got as much out of that land as you could possibly get. Kind of like people who do these container garden things. You know, they, they try to pack as much stuff in or they do this crop rotation thing or square foot gardening thing. So they pack a lot in a small plate. So if you have a vineyard, um, putting a fig tree in it was kind of a big deal because the vineyard would produce once a year. A good fig tree produced three times a year, uh, spring, summer, and fall. So a productive fig tree would actually give you a crop three times a year. Now, the catch-22 is this. By putting a fig tree in your vineyard, you attract birds who now are closer to your vines to start eating. So so it's a catch-22. Which one do I do? do? So there's a little bit of an idea. There's a little bit of controversy over this idea of was the fig tree supposed to be there or not supposed to be there? I personally think the fig tree was supposed to be there, that it was purposely planted there. And the reason I say that is that when you have a fig tree, a fig tree takes three years to produce. So for the first three years, you're going to get absolutely nothing. The story says that the owner of the vineyard came to that tree every year for three years expecting fruit. So what the story means is that for years four, five, and six, he walks to that tree every day looking for fruit, or every, every season looking for fruit, and there is none. So now he has a decision to make. Again, this is, a, this is a dry area. Water is scarce. Why should I let this tree take up all of these resources when I can just cut it down and let the grapes have the resources? So the owner, looking at this from a pragmatic point of view, walks in and says, it's time to cut it down. Now, he's got at least, a very minimum, he's got a six-year investment in this thing. But he's looking at it going, it's time to cut my losses, move on, either let the grapes grow better or we'll plant another tree. And so his concern is for the resources that are being wasted. His concern is the idea that I'm expecting fruit, there is no fruit, it's time to cut my losses and start over. The person in charge of the vineyard, though, has invested six years in this tree, at least. So he comes to the owner and he says, 
I'll tell you what. Give me one more year. Now, this is a nice way of saying, what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig up all the hard ground around it. I'm going to get a bunch of manure. I'm going to spread it all around. And I'm going to try to get some decent soil here. And I'm going to baby this tree for a year. And let's see what happens. But give me one more year. And at the end of that year, next year, this time, if it's not producing fruit, we'll cut it down. We'll make firewood out. And that's the story. As we look at it, you see a lot of things that I think are incredibly helpful to us. Again, I think in particular, he's talking about Israel needing to repent in order for God to get fruit from them. Ultimately, Jesus tries and tries and tries. He can't get through to them. And then eventually, uh, the temple's destroyed and, and the gospel is basically presented to the Gentiles, which is us, and we're benefits of that. Specifically, I think there are lessons in here for us, too. Okay? So, let's talk about the first one. Here's the first principle. A fig tree is not a vine. In other words, the fig tree is in the middle of a vineyard. We don't expect the fig tree to produce grapes. The fig tree is different. The fig tree is different than the vineyard. The fig tree, I believe, was purposely planted there by the owner because he wanted it to produce figs. He wanted to get three crops a year, not just one. Here's the application. God has placed you in a vineyard somewhere. You're not to be the vineyard. You're to be the fig tree in the vineyard. In other words, God doesn't want you to look like the vines. You're different. Now listen, this is a simple thing, but this is a huge thing. This is a big, what I see as a crisis in Christianity today. Because in Christianity, what's happened is we've gone in and said, you know what? Well, let's try to be as much like the world as we can because we feel odd and different and unique and we don't want to feel that way. And, and, and they're rejecting us, so let's, let's try to be as much like them as we can. And we're trying to be a fig tree that acts like a vine. Here, here's the catch-22 of this. And again, uh, this is simple, but it is so profound. I get that when you are in an environment in which you are the odd duck, that it is uncomfortable. I get that. Okay? I, I have a natural built-in um, deal that I can pretty much shut down any conversation at any time. All I have to do is say, um, yeah, I'm a pastor. That word pastor will shut down. It is amazing. I have watched people swear up and down like a sailor. And the minute I say the word pastor, they think they're talking to some angel and they clean up their act, and they all and 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 everything. Else. It's it's just sometimes I got to be honest with you. There's a side of me that sometimes plays this card just for fun. <laughs> I have a good friend, and we were we were siding a building, and we were we were using recycled tin, old tin, and we were nailing up. Every time he hit his finger, he would he would, he would start to cuss, and then he would he would realize I was working with him, and he'd apologize. He'd apologize. 
So we're doing this. We're doing this all day. We're doing this. And he's just cussing. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Pastor. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Pastor. Oh, I'm sorry about that, Pastor. And his mom called in the middle of this job from California. His mom called. She's talking to him. He goes, this is the hardest job I've ever done because I'm working with a pastor. And every time I hit my finger, I have to apologize. Um, I never asked him to apologize. He just did. And we, it, to this day, it's a running joke between us. At his funeral, we'll probably talk about it. Uh, but, I mean, it was one of those deals where, you know what, that, that's the way this thing works is that I understand what, it, what it's like to be ostracized, to push off, to be put in some little corner where nobody doesn't, doesn't want to talk to you because they don't know how to talk to you. I get that. Okay, I really do. And I get that in those situations, you want to feel somewhat comfortable. And that, that's one of the reasons church is so encouraging to us, because we're around people who are like-minded. And so we can kind of chill a little bit and not have to be so ostracized with stuff. I get that. But when we walk into the vineyard of this world, we need to be victory. We need to be different. We need to stand out. You go back to that picture that I had up. What did you pay attention to? The vines are the fig tree. Why? Because it's different. It's unique. It stands out. Listen, when you and I walk into the world, when you go to work tomorrow, God expects you to be different. And you don't understand. When we try to be like the world and tell their stories and act like they do, and do the things that they do, then what happens is, what we're saying to them is, I want to be like you. And when they're in crisis, they're not going to turn to somebody who's like them. They're going to turn to somebody who's different. They're going to turn to somebody who has something they don't have. So when everybody walks into work tomorrow morning complaining because it's Monday, and everybody, and you jump in, that's telling them you have the same idea about your job as they do. You're just like them. But when you turn around and go something like this, you know, I'm just glad we have a job. i got a lot of friends who are unemployed right now. Oh, do you know what they'll say about you? Yeah, because I'm a fig tree. I'm different. I'm okay to be different. Kids, listen to me. Teenagers, college, listen to me. The sooner you get this, the better your life will be. Because if you try to, as, current, as Roman said, if you try to squeeze yourself into the world's mold, if you let the world squeeze and mold and shape you, you will not stand out and you will be frustrated. Because here's the thing, no matter what you do, You will constantly be a chameleon adapting to whatever environment you're in. And nobody will have respect. Nobody will will look to you for leadership. No one will look to you for character because there's nothing different. You're just blending in like everybody else. That is so important to understand. So this week, as you go into your workplace, don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to be different. It's okay. You go, well, everybody else cuts the corners. You're a fig tree. You're not a vine. Don't cut the corners. You don't understand. Then then I'll lose business. But you'll keep your character. So what's more important? Because you will stand ultimately before Almighty God. So what's more important? This is what we're talking about. Be a fig tree, not a 
not, not a vine. Second thing is this. This tree was given a second chance. You need to realize this. God never obligates himself to give you a second chance. Ever. Ever. That's why when God lays something on your heart and God speaks to you about something you need to do, do it. Because God never promises anywhere in his word he will give you another shot. Every time he does give you another shot, every time he does try to get your attention, that is his grace and his goodness to you. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you need to understand this. Every time your heart beats and every time your lung take in air, God's given you another chance. Every time, every breath, every heartbeat is the grace of God giving you another chance. There's a fascinating story in the book of Jonah. And if you know the book of Jonah, basically what happens is God comes to his his man and he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the most hated place. Our modern day analogy would be if God called you to go to um, Iraq and be a missionary. And you're like, God said, look, if you don't go, I'm going to wipe the people out. And you're like, fine with me. That'll take care of a lot of America's problems. Let's just wipe them all out and be done. And that's kind of the whole story behind Nineveh and Jonah. And so Jonah goes to Nineveh, or Jonah's supposed to go to Nineveh, and literally when you look at the map and you look at the story, Nineveh's here and Jonah goes that way, as far as he can. And you know the story. Um, basically, they realize they got a bad deal on the boat. Um, they start throwing over. They're in a storm. Finally, Jonah tells them, and they throw Jonah overboard. Um, a fish comes, swallows him. Uh, he spends three days in a fish. Uh, and again, depending on what you want to believe, um, some Bible scholars say that, again, it, it, it's just dark. I mean, the, the story is so dark. Jonah talks about being in a fish and seaweed wrapped around his head and, and all this. And some Bible scholars believe actually that being in that fish for three days, the stomach acid in the fish started to erode his skin. So by the time he's puked out on the shore, He's white as a ghost, and he's all pot-marked from the acid eating his skin. He's a pretty grizzly-looking guy. That's why he can walk in and Nineveh preach an eight-word sermon, and everybody repents. Because um, they're like, <laughs> if you're one of God's men and he did that to you, we, we're done. Okay, sure, tell us what we need to do. Um, and that's depending on how you see the story. But in, Gen- in, in Jonah chapter 3, listen to this verse. Okay, This is a key, I think, in the birth. Listen to what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah... A second time. Go to that great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. If you go back to Jonah chapter 1, God says the exact same thing to him in chapter 3 that he said in chapter 1. God doesn't look at him and go, okay, I'm going to make it a little easier for you, Jonah. Let's try this again. And this time, you know, you don't have to go this. You don't have to. God gave him the exact same thing. The exact same message you got in chapter 1. The difference between chapter 1 and chapter 3. God came to him a second time. God never obligates himself to a second time. And what I would say to you this morning is you need to understand that one of the things that this parable teaches is this idea that God will God does draw a line. You see this in this story. The line in this story is a year. The tree doesn't know that, but there's a line drawn. We went through Moses and the children of Israel. One of the things that you know that, that I talked about when we went through the children of Israel is this idea that 
Israel kept complaining to God, and God drew a line. Israel didn't know where that line was. I think, by my count, it was ten. And they complained against God ten times. And on the tenth time, God said, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to give you what you want. You said, I brought you out of here in the wilderness to destroy you. I'm going to let you die out here just like you said you wanted to die. And those who are 20 years of age and younger, they will get what I promised to you. You don't want it, I'll give it to somebody else, just like this story. The tree's not going to produce fruit, and I'm going to give it to We're going to give the ground to something else. You see that. Here's the thing that you see in the story. God draws a line. And what I would say is you don't know where that line is. And if you're not going to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you don't know when your heart gets its last beat or your lungs get its last breath. You don't know that. So you better make sure that when God speaks, you respond and repent and come to him and deal with what you need to deal with. That's, that's, that's the principle of the story. And it's so important. And, and you know, I see, this, I see this over and over again kind of as it plays out in people's lives where I think one of the, I think one of the worst punishments God can do is just take his hands off and say, you know what, you want to keep going this direction, I'm going to let you go this direction, and then we'll see where you end up. And when you've hit the wall, when you bottomed out, then I will be there to pick you up. But you keep fighting me, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to take my hands off, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm just going to, I'm going to let it play out its course. If those of you who raised teenagers, you understand this. Um, I'll never forget. I was talking to parents a couple weeks ago about this, so this this kind of resonates with me right now. But um, my oldest son went through a phase um, when he was in high school where he thought he needed his hair long. And it kind of got bushy and scraggly and everything else. And we kept telling him, it just doesn't look good. just doesn't look good. Now, you've got to pick your battles with your teenagers. And this was a battle we weren't going to have. It was just like, you know what, if you want to look like a goofball, look like a goofball. Um, and so, you know, and so we went through all this and we kept trying to, we kept trying to go, you know, you ought to just style it or something or do it. And then we have our family pictures that we take every year, you know, there it is. Uh, school pictures, there it is. Um, and you know, we have people say stuff to us and we're like, hey, you know what, it's his call. It's his call. That's what he wants to do. That's his goal. Um, and, and, and finally, finally, Candace came up to him and went, that looks horrible. Why don't you come to my shop? Why don't you come to my shop and let me fix it so it looks good? And of course, listen to mom and dad. No. Candace, So Candace fixed it, looked really good at that point. Now, here's what's funny. In our house, we have pictures everywhere. And you go up our stairs, there's a picture of all of, all of our kids. There's all our Christmas pictures. There's, there, there's all his school pictures and stuff like that. And all and people will come over and they'll go, what in the world? Now, he looks back at it and, and is like, why did you let me do that? You know? Why did you let me do it? And I was like, you know what? We got tired of fighting you. Do your thing. And so I was talking to these parents, teenagers, and they were, they, 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 
they were going through this with their kid. And I just looked at the kid and I said, look, I'm going to tell you how this is going to play out. At some point, as you get older, you're going to look at this and you're going to ask this one question. What was I thinking? And I said, take the advice of the people around you and listen to what they say. I said, you can still go that route, but just take it. Now they went in the military. Are you kidding me? It is so much easier to take care of. You know, buzz it all off. Keep it short. Um, and again, but it was one of those things where for us, again, it wasn't our battle, but it was one of those things where at some point as a parent you go, I'm just washing my hands of it. You'll have to learn it your way. And I wonder sometimes if that's not what God does. You see him doing that with children of Israel. He lets them keep going, and they keep pushing him, pushing him. He's patient and patient. Finally, God says, okay, you know what? I'm done fighting this battle with you. Your kids can have what you are going to have. You'll die here just like you said that you wanted to because you keep saying that's what I was going to do, so I'm just going to let that happen. I can't stress enough this idea that when God gives you a second or a third or a fourth or a 200 chance or a 500 chance, you better take it because you don't know that you're going to get another one. Because at some point, God's drawn a line. And it's important because when God's speaking to you, he wants you to change before he ever gets to that line. That's what you see in this story of the tree. The last thing is this. One of the things that you see inherent in this story is the owner comes every year expecting fruit. God expects us to produce fruit. Um, I like what James says. If you're a new Christian, let me say this. You know, we look at our Bible, and a lot of times we look at the New Testament, and we think that it's written in order. It's not written in order, okay? Um, You have to go to the, if you've got a study Bible, you go to the, the date that it was written. And when you go back through it, here's what you'll find. In the early church, when people got, in Acts chapter 2, kind of when the church takes off, the first book of the Bible, the first letters that the church ever got to read are the letters from James. So if you're a new Christian, I always tell people, go to the book of James and start there. That was where the early church had to start. That was the first book. That was the most, that was like basic Christianity 101. Okay? So if you're a new Christian, James is your book. The next book I'd suggest you go to is 1 John. Okay? That talks a lot about your salvation. But listen to James chapter 2. This is on the earliest teaching the church would have had. Listen to what he said. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by an action, is dead. This is what we talked about last week with the Good Samaritan. Did the priest have faith? Did the Levite have faith? No. It was the Samaritan who by his actions showed his love. That's what he's saying. The owner comes to this tree three years in a row expecting to see something, and he saw nothing. If you and I are a child of God, there has to be fruit in our life. There has to be. Are you saying i got to have my act all together? Well, no, because then none of us could be here. What I'm saying is there ought to be growth, there ought to be fruit. 
If you, if you want a simple thing, go back to Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit. So here's what I would say. In the last year, two, three years, whatever, you want to, whatever number you want to put to it, are you more loving than you were then? Joy. Is there more joy in your life now than there used to be? Peace. Is there more peace now than there used to be? Gentleness. Are you more gentle now with people than you used to be? I'm not saying you don't, you, you don't have your highs and lows with this, but I'm saying it's a, it's a big picture thing. Are you more patient? You know, there ought to be fruit. That's why I say God puts us in the world to be the fig tree that's different. So that what happens is when we go through a crisis, when we go through a difficulty, when we go through a hardship, they see us responding with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, good, and faith, meekness, temperance. They see us responding like that when they, on the other hand, so again, let's go practical. You're going to work tomorrow. Everybody's complaining because it's Monday. Everybody's whining about it. You jump in and whine with them. Most of us do. But when all of a sudden you're that person that says, you know what, I'm just thrilled to have a job. Oh, we didn't get a raise this year. Peace? I'll be okay. God's always taking care of me. We'll make it. Is this making sense? We respond differently because we're fig trees in the middle of a vineyard. We're exhibiting fruit that's different from grapes. That's what we're talking about. And so as we go through our lives this week, don't, don't be afraid to be different. Don't be afraid to stand out. Don't be afraid to let the fruit of the Spirit show in your life. So when you're going through a, a difficult time or a crisis, there's a peace in your life that the world doesn't have. That's what's, that's what's shocking everybody right now with, with, with what's happening in the world. As Christians, listen, listen, I've always said this from day one. As Christians, we need a different response to COVID than the world. We need a different response. We need a different response to the political climate in our world. We need a different response to the things that happen in our culture, in our world. Why? Because we're fig trees, we're not vines. And when God is speaking to your heart about something, my challenge to you is this, obey, respond. Because you don't know that he's going to speak to you a second, a third, or a 50th time about it, or 200th time. You don't know. So I've always told, and I preach this for years to teenagers, if God speaks, you, you answer and you answer now. So I end this morning with this idea. As we look at this, we understand that the parable of the fig tree teaches that God is a God of second chances. However, it also reminds us that God never obligates himself to give us a second chance. God's patience and opportunities will one day cease. And every one of us will face a day of accountability. Be different this week. And produce God's fruit to a lost world who desperately needs it. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy to get caught up in this world it's easy to be enamored by it, to try to fit in, to try to do whatever we need to do, Lord, that people to accept us. Lord, the reality of it is, in a crisis, they want somebody that they respect. They want somebody that they can turn to 
that handles things differently. So help us to be those people. May people see Christ in us. May people see us respond in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit, Lord, that we produce in our lives is different. And use us. And Lord, for folks here this morning who may be putting off responding to you, whether it be for putting their faith and trust in you or whether it be something as simple as an issue that you keep confronting them about but they keep saying no. Help us to realize, Lord, that today we have a second chance. And we may not tomorrow. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together and we're going to sing uh, Course Day by Day. Let's stand together and sing.